0: If you're not awake after a rattle on that second song, um, go see a doctor or something, I don't know. <clears throat> uh, hey, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the bridge after that. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Mark, and as kind of uh, Rachel alluded to, um, yeah, kind of a switch up a little bit, not a big one, but originally this Sunday we were going to end the Mark series. and. Um, Honestly, God just did a big work in my heart in the five weeks that I was gone during the summer, and so I kind of made an audible call, and last Sunday we ended Mark, and every year in the fall what we do is we recalibrate to our mission and our vision, and we do a four-week fall launch sermon series, and so that starts next Sunday, and so we're going to go through what does it mean to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did, all so that God's kingdom comes in the Chino Valley as it is in heaven. And this morning, what I want to do, um, honestly, is just share kind of what I felt the Lord really speak to me in the five weeks that I was gone. Um, And I actually think it's it's an introduction, it's an on-ramp it's to get us ready for this fall series that we're getting into. Last week I called it pre-gaming, I think. And uh, if you're a sports fan and you do that, think of it as pre-gaming. Uh, disclaimer, um, I did read a book and I listened to a podcast that so much of this morning comes from and is directly influenced. And so I want to give them the credit, their brilliance, not mine. They're far wiser than I am. And so the book is a book called The Pursuit of the Holy um, by a British pastor and theologian named Simon Ponsiby. He's in Oxford. And then um, someone that I've gotten to know in the last couple of years, uh, Darren Roundsen at the garden in Long Beach. Um, he spoke on a podcast called "Canadian Church Leaders." He's not Canadian, I'm not Canadian, but uh, it was good stuff. So make sure you go read and listen. All the credit goes to them. Here's where I want to start this morning. For Israel, in the Old Testament, there was a huge, particular moment for them literally where they took a step and they crossed into a new season. Um, So much of the first couple books of the Bible is about Yahweh, the God of Israel, creating and then promising His people Israel that He's going to take them to the promised land, a land of of milk and honey, saturated in God's presence. They're going to experience divine rest. And there comes a point um, the book of Joshua is literally where this new season starts. And Israel is told to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. But the really crucial thing to know is that before they cross over, they are given very specific instructions, directions, And so that's exactly what I want us to look at this morning. For us as a church, as we cross into the fall season, school's back in, we're at it. What does God want to prepare us for as we head into the fall? So, if you have a Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 3. If you're like me, you don't usually read from Joshua, Um, we have our free orange Bibles. It's page 147 and those underneath your chairs. Joshua chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And I've told you a little bit of the context. A couple other things to know as we hop in. Israel, they've been in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. And there's been lots of ups and downs. They've messed up. They've chased after other gods, which made their stay in the desert even longer. Their most renowned leader, the most celebrated leader in the Old Testament, Moses. He's just died. And so they have a new leader named Joshua. And Joshua is to take God's people across the Jordan River and into the promised land. And at this point, they are just six miles away from the Jordan River. Six miles east of the Jordan River. And so now we pick up the scene. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. Now I said that very carefully, Shittim, because I know some of you will read that and think something else. (laughs) They left Shittim and they went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, uh, real quick, Ark of Covenant, most of us probably don't know what that is, the Ark of the Covenant was the most holy piece of furniture in Israel's tabernacle. Why? It carried the Ten Commandments. It signified God's presence. It signified the throne room of the Creator God. So they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, that's a little over half a mile, between you and the ark, and do not go near it. And here's verse 5, I want us to focus on this this morning. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow." The Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead. Go to verse 8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. We'll come back to that. Verse 13. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, They set foot in the Jordan, and its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage, all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerathen, while the waters flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they stopped in the middle of the Jordan, they stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by, until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. I'm going to go a little old school this morning. I'm going to go a little kind of uh, Southern Baptist preacher, if you will. No stories this morning. Three points straight from this text, and I'm just going to go through them in order, all straight from this passage. Here's the first point um, from the first couple of verses. To prepare us for God's next move, we need to disrupt our comforts. To prepare us for the next move of God, we need to disrupt our comforts. What do I mean? What in the world does that have to do with what you just read, Mark? You got to understand Joshua's instructions to the Israelites. They are Six miles east of the Jordan River, coming from Shatim. Now, this is a society, they walk everywhere outside. It's an agricultural civilization. They're used to walking. Walking six miles outside ain't nothing for them. Now, you and I, we'll go outside today after the service in 100 degree heat, and we'll be done. And we'll want to go right to our cars, we're building with AC, and we'll complain, and blah, 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 blah. Not these people, all right? Six miles, nothing. This is like Middle East desert. But you got to remember, they're moving everything. They have their kids, they have their flock, all their animals, they have shelter. They got a lot of stuff with them. So, do you think it was inconvenient and probably annoying and frustrating to just walk? six miles from Shittim and then stop right, before, right when you get to the Jordan River. Meaning, why not just cross over all at once? It would have just taken them a couple more minutes. But Joshua and God, they have them walk six miles, which is not a long distance for them, and then they stop right in front of the Jordan River and they camp out for three days. Just camping out. So they would have had to set up camp, get all their stuff organized, spend three days, then to just do it all over again just to cross the river. Now, I have two toddlers right now. I lied. I'm mean, kind of sharing a story. It's more of a situation and life circumstance. Um, most of you know I have two toddlers right now. It is quite frustrating and quite disrupting for us just to go 15 minutes to Trader Joe's. And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? You got to, we got to, we got to dress them. We got to put their shoes on. Right? To get Parker and Ethan together, we put them in the garage. I got to back out the car first because there's not enough room in my garage for me to open the doors to get them in the car. So then we're, I have to back out the car, then we put the kids in, but then they're fighting right now. Then one of them will start crying, oh, I want my Wawa. So then I gotta go back inside the refrigerator, get their water balls because I forgot that. Oh, and then I forgot the teddy bear and all the other binky and all this other stuff, and it changes every hour what their favorite toy is. That's just to get in the car. You know what I mean? And then Parker's at the stage right now, a little past four, where he wants to buckle himself. But that takes five minutes for him to buckle himself. I can do in 10 seconds, 100 degrees, I'm sweating outside. I mean, it's like, okay, but we just let him do it because he needs to grow up. We haven't left yet. We're just going to Trader Joe's. We get to Trader Joe's. And then we gotta get them all out. And then we're the family with the two kids in the carts. They're picking up the tomatoes, throwing them. I'm like trying to apologize, to tra- I'm so sorry. You know, people are looking at like, what is this family doing? And then we get back inside the car. And then we come back home. And we park outside of the garage because we can't go inside the garage because we can't open the door to get the groceries out, the kids out. It, it, you get the point, it's quite frustrating. Needless to say, DoorDash, Uber Eats, we love them. Dinner at night, we don't go out because we don't want the hassle of moving. Can you imagine for a nation, hundreds and thousands of people, to walk six miles with all their stuff, you know, why don't you just stop right here before, and let's just spend three days. Why don't you just reset up everything, and then three days later, we'll just cross over. Do you get the annoyance of that? Some of you do glamping, and so you don't know what I'm talking about. Shame on all of you who do glamping. That's not camping. Here's the point. Often, God will disrupt your comforts to prepare you for a move of His. We humans, humans have this really funny tendency. We naturally become complacent. We get in our routines. We grow comfortable, and I would say we grow numb to how God is moving in our very lives. So here's the first question. I told you, I'm old school this morning, going right to the point. Where does God need to disrupt you? Now, I'm not saying to cause a bunch of drama or trauma in your life. That's not what I'm saying. Although, I don't know, if that wakes you up, then so be it. But I'm talking about like your, your your schedule, your habits, your priority, your money, your lifestyle. Do, does God need to disrupt that to reawaken you from your slumber and come alive to the glory and presence of God? That's the question. Israel is about ready to cross over. But their comforts are disrupted. And I don't think that's just... God kind of playing chess. This leads to the next point, Joshua 3 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The second point from Simon Ponsipi is this, and I love this phrase, this is so cool. Consecration brings visitation. Consecration brings visitation. What does that mean? Consecration is an old word. We don't use it in our culture anymore. Um, It's probably foreign to most of us. Um, But consecration is really similar to the word holy. If someone's consecrating themselves or consecrating an object or whatever, they are literally doing this. They are setting it apart as holy. So to consecrate someone or something is to set apart as holy. Now, the word holy, we don't talk about holiness that much, right? I mean, it's not like a popular topic. Um, For me, when I hear or read the word holy, if I'm honest, I kind of get like a vibe of like, man, that's kind of like an old school, traditional, prudish, stiff-necked religious person. Oh, holiness, or holiness. Oh, that, that's just for pastors or priests. That's what our culture largely thinks of when we hear the word holy or holiness. Meaning this, it doesn't seem like holy people have a lot of fun. Only a couple laughs. Here's the deal, though. I mean, again, just straight to the point. That's, that's not the vibe of holiness in the Bible. In the Bible, in the Scriptures, and the word holy is used over a thousand times, so it's, it's actually quite a popular topic in the Bible. Holiness is actually this beautiful, good thing of awe and wonder. So God himself is called the Holy One. God's not prudish. You want to know what God is, though? He's completely other. He's different he's distinct he's separate why because he's the only creator and everything else is creation so God is the most holy because he's the most set apart he's distinct he's separate that's what the word holy literally means it means distinct and separate but like all in a good and beautiful and mighty and all wonder way so, God is the holy one. Actually, the word holy is, it, it, it describes who God is in himself because of his love and faithfulness and grace and mercy. But he is holy. There is no one else like him in a good way. Now, because God is holy, Israel is told by their God, our God, be holy because I am holy. Uh, meaning, I am so distinct and separate and special. You need to be distinct and separate and unique and special as well. So, but holiness isn't really talked about that much in the American church anymore. I mean, most people aren't going to jump up and Oh, I want to hear a sermon about being told that I need to be holy. (laughs) Here's what's fascinating from this passage, though. You know what I hear about a lot of people, I'm constantly with other pastoral leaders. The church in the West, maybe in the world right now, there's a lot of talk of revival. There's a lot of talk of come Holy Spirit. There's a lot of talk of Lord, we want to see you do amazing things, which is great. But you know what comes before Lord come do amazing things according to this passage? Consecrate yourself. For tomorrow, I will do amazing things among you. Oh, God, do amazing things! What about the first part? Consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart. Now, in case you're thinking, oh, well, Mark, that's just Joshua 3. Where else do you see that in the Scriptures? Everywhere. Let me give you two quick examples from the Old Testament. Exodus 19, 10 through 11. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people, here it is, and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes, meaning um, physically do something that will symbolize what God is doing you Innerly, Why? Be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. Consecration brings visitation. Numbers 11, 18 through 19, we never go to Numbers. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. And this is my favorite verse in the Bible, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. He'll do an amazing thing among you. But do you see this built-in spiritual principle of how God works? Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecration brings visitation. Um, I was thinking about this the last couple days. As I said, consecration, we don't like it. It's foreign. It's usually negative to us. But here's the fascinating thing about our culture right now. I think, I think we consecrate ourselves all the time. What do I mean? I think we consecrate our schedules all the time. We set our schedules apart. We set our schedules apart for our going to the gym, which is great, um, eating healthy, kids' activities, going out. We set aside time and we consecrate our schedules for those things. You consecrate your finances for your hobbies, your indulgences, your lifestyle. You consecrate your attention to your iPhone or Netflix. Consecration's all around us. We we consecrate out of habit. We don't know how not to. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. We went out with some people last night and we watched Netflix last night. So we did two things of those. The question is, what are you consecrating yourself to? Because what's going on here is he's saying, consecrate yourself to the Lord. In your schedule, with your attention, and in your lifestyle, are you consecrating those things to the God of the universe? Canadian spiritual writer Henry Blackaby wrote this. I read this when I was in Ireland and I almost screamed. I believe there will be no revival in society without holiness. None. Cry to God all you want. He will not hear you. Put together all the phrases that revivalists of other generations have all quoted and it will not make an ounce of difference to the heart of God. God is looking for holiness. Now, by the way, he's not, it doesn't mean he's looking for perfect people. That's, that's not what I mean. It's not, no, no, no. Only because of Jesus on the cross are we perfect. But remember the definition of holiness. It just means to be set apart. God is looking for a people who set themselves apart for a move of God. In everything they do. So, practically speaking, what does this look like? Okay, how do I consecrate my time? How do I consecrate my attention? What, what, what are the nuts and bolts of this? Here's what I've done in the last three, four weeks since my time away. I grew convicted that my mind and my attention was consecrated to my iPhone. When I woke, first thing when I wake up in the morning, grab my phone, email, Instagram, ESPN, When I go to bed, those are the exact same things that I would do. Literally in my bed right before I close my eyes. And the Lord told me, Mark, you need to consecrate yourself. And now the first thing I do in the morning before I... I don't touch my phone except to see what time it is. All right? Not that legalistic. And I read a chapter out of the scriptures. And then when I go to bed, the last thing I do before I close my eyes is either pray, meditate, or read the scriptures. In my waking and in my sleeping, I want to set apart my time and my mind to the presence of God. Now, that's not because I'm perfect. But I want to consecrate myself. I want to set myself apart and open myself up to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then 15, 30 minutes a day, and again, it's not perfect, and sometimes it comes in chunks, and and none of this is, is kind of these legalistic rules to follow, but I want to spend 15 to 30 minutes in silence, solitude, and prayer. I just want to listen to the voice of God, and I just want to set myself apart to make room for Him, to align my schedule around Him, not to make Him move around my schedule. So here's the second part. How can you consecrate yourself? How can you set yourself apart for the Lord? That he may do amazing things among you. Before he does amazing things among you, he wants your heart. Third and last point, to prepare for a move of God, we must have faith. Now, biblical faith, to use a John Wimber quote, biblical faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith in the kingdom of God is spelled R-I-S-K. Did you catch this? Joshua 3.8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now, he doesn't tell them, hey, why don't you go dip your toes in a little creek? Cool yourself off a little bit. He doesn't say, hey, why don't you go in the shallow end of your 95-degree heated pool? I know some of the pool people in this church, that's what they do, because I've been in them. They're nice. And it's not saying that. Hey, people of God, Why don't you go stand in the river? Oh, and oh, by the way, did you see in verse 15 what time of the year it is? It's harvest season. Well, what happens in harvest season in the spring in Israel and the Jordan River? Well, it's flood season. The Jordan River is moving. Here's what one Old Testament commentator wrote. The usual harvest flood stage of the Jordan swells it with winter rain beyond, this is its normal size, 90 to 100 foot width and 3 to 10 foot depth. Some estimates taken from a 19th century AD flood observation suggest the harvest flood could make the river as much as a half mile wide. Now, let's think about this hey, in a river that's a half mile wide, why don't you go stand in the river? And oh, by the way, you priests, you're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They would have carried it holding poles, and it, 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 the poles lifted up the Ark of the Covenant. So they're like this. They don't got their wire gear on, goggles. No, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy thing, Some people have died in the Old Testament from not carrying it correctly or dropping it, and he says, I want you to go into the river. They're not told at this point, oh yeah, you know, don't worry, God's just gonna split the river and you'll be under." That part hasn't come yet. They're not promised that, they're not told that. They're said, he said, God, we gotta take a risk we have to have an act of obedience and faith to go stand in the middle of this flooded, turbulent river. Obedience is the currency of the kingdom of God. This was a huge risk, I'm not comfortable. Verse 15, here's what happens. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zratan, while the water flowing down to the Dead Sea was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Third question, rapid fire. Where is God calling you to faith? Where is God calling you to take a risk? You ever live risky for the kingdom of God? That's when things get fun, adventurous. Following Jesus should be adventurous. It should be risky. Now, when I say risky, I'm not talking about like Oh, should I I take a chance on like a financial investment? Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not here to give you financial advice. I'm talking about, are you risky? Are you taking faith? Are you literally taking that step for something that has to do with the glory and advancement of the name of Jesus Christ? That is what I'm talking about. Something for the presence of God. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Are you risky to see the presence of God come in the Chino Valley? That is what we're talking about. Now, actually I think all three of these points go together. Disrupting our comforts, consecrating yourself, And having faith, a risky faith. I actually think those are all kind of the same thing. You you, you know what Joshua 3 is? And this is what hit me while I was gone. Joshua 3 is the recipe for a move of God. These are the ingredients. If you want to taste and see that the Lord is good. If you want to taste the banquet feast of the Messiah Jesus. Then come hungry to his table. And this is all over the scriptures. We just love, oh God, do amazing things now, which is great. But he's like, yeah, but set yourself apart. Come hungry to my table and then I'll feed you. This is why we're doing Seek Week. There's nothing magical about Seek Week. What Seek Week is... Here's what Seek Week is. It's just a way for you and I to disrupt our comforts. It's a way for us to consecrate ourselves. It's a way for us to be risky with our faith. And let me say this, and this is so important. You don't live a consecrated life. You don't pursue holiness to manipulate God. Meaning it's not like, oh, God's like a divine vending machine or a slot machine. And if I put a a coin of prayer in then he'll do this amazing thing. Not the way it works. That's not the posture. That's not why we do Seek Week. That's not why we're chasing after consecration and holiness. Here's why. Pursuing God's presence is the end in and of itself. We pursue God because he is the end. We don't want to pursue anything else. There is nothing greater than the presence of God. Nothing greater. And it's hard to understand and and grasp what it means to apprentice after Jesus until you feel and encounter and understand that it's all about him because it's all about his presence. It's actually in his presence that you come alive. See, we need to seek God's face and not just His hands. Well, we love to seek His hands. But do you seek His face before you seek His hands? And don't seek God's presence just for His power. See, the reality is, you won't experience the presence of God if you go to seek His power. Because His power is only found in His presence. You won't get the power of God unless you first deal with the presence of God because His power is found in the presence. Now we're preaching. Okay. I'm sweating now too. So this is why we do Seek Week. And then last disclaimer. It's not meant to be a one-time thing because I, I, you know, I know how these church things go oh, one week, we go all out, warrior cry, and then like a month later, it's like, yeah, I'm just back to normal now. The point of Seek Week is to reignite, it's to rekindle, it's to reawaken actually our lives and our habits and our schedules and our attention and our money and our time to what ultimately is best and true. It's to reignite us To take on new habits that awaken us to life with the Father because of the Son through the power of the Spirit. So here's what I want you to do. There should be a little flyer on your chair. The first half is like a forest green. Second half is white. I want everyone to take this out right now. What's the practical application to this sermon? What's the, okay, what do we do next? This is it. So how do you practically disrupt your comforts? How do you practically consecrate yourself? How do you take a risk? An easy way to start is just to follow and do Seek Week. So here's what this is. We give you the schedule on the white bottom half. It's seven days Next Sunday, we start. So, a week from now, right? We're not starting today, although please go pray and read and fast this week. That'd be great too. So, next Sunday, when we gather, we're going to be launching Seek Week. If you go to our website, the URL is at the very bottom there thebridgechino forward slash seek dash week. If you go there, we have all the resources on that web page. There are um, prayer, uh, scripture reflections. All of that is on there. All the resources are provided. You, know, you just gotta click on the day, all right? And now I want to highlight a couple things. These are kind of like the mountain peaks of, of Seek Week. We are doing something that we've never done before. We literally we are doing a 24-hour prayer room in the youth lounge here on campus. Now, if you don't know what a 24 hour prayer room is, it's exactly what it sounds like. We want to have a room dedicated, consecrated to prayer, for there to be continuous nonstop prayer in that room for 24 hours. Next Tuesday, not this Tuesday, next Tuesday, 5 p.m., to Wednesday, 5 p.m. And so we just want people to sign up for prayer slots. All you have to do is you sign up for one hour, just one hour. If you got two to three, you go in there two to three, there's going to be prayer stations, different kind of things to walk you and guide you through, and you just pray in there. There'll be other people in there. And we want 24 hours of continuous, connected prayer to bathe this place in the presence of God. All you got to do is scan the QR code to sign up. Now, here's what's cool about this. I know some of you, some of you work nights, you can do a day shift. Some of you, I, I actually know someone who's already signed up. They signed up, I think, for like a 3, 4, and a 5 a.m. slot. It looks like they're going to wake up a little bit early before they go to work, and they're going to head in there. What a day to start your day. That is risk and disrupting your comfort and consecrating yourself to the God of the universe. So Sign up there. Now, the next thing. So we, that's Tuesday 5 to Wednesday 5, an hour and a half later, right here, Wednesday, 6.30 p.m., we have a worship and prayer night. So we got 24 hours of prayer, and then we come into this worship and prayer night, and we're just going to go crazy for the Holy Spirit. We're going to say, God, do amazing things among us, because we're consecrating ourselves. Now, I, don't, I want you to understand the posture of this. None of this is guilt trip. It's honestly inviting you into the good life the abundant life at Jesus, you you want to taste and see that the Lord is good. There ain't no better way than to set time aside in your schedule to seek his presence. So make sure you check those things out. As Rachel said, next Sunday, we're gonna kick off Seek Week by handing out door hangers all throughout the preserve. So here's what I want us to do. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I want us to spend some time no music, nothing crazy happening. I want you just to spend, honestly, a couple minutes in silence. And for some of us, this is really hard. Just put your phone down, turn it over, don't worry about whatever's going on in the world. I think Jesus has it all in control. I, 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 th- I think we can kind of sit and relax And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this question. How is God inviting you to consecrate yourself? How is God inviting you to set yourself apart? And that looks different for all of us. You're not trying to earn God's favor? You got nothing to earn. The cross has done everything for you. But just close your eyes. If you're comfortable, you can put your hands out, whatever is a comfortable posture for you. But, Father, how are you inviting me to consecrate myself? And let's just spend two minutes of silence to do that. And then we'll, we'll continue on.